Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we make the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on the country of the Wiradjuri people, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. I'd like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yuggera people, the traditional custodians of this land on which this podcast is made, and where my family and horses live and gather. I'd like to recognise their connection to land, water, community and our sacred animals. I am grateful to Elders, past, present and emerging, for keeping this sacred land here in Sanford safe and protected throughout many tens of thousands of years. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. I'm also grateful that you have taken the time to choose this podcast at this very moment. Thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. If you'd like to support the podcast and all the work that I do, then you can. Just head on over to patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast and sign up. From as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help me keep this podcast going. There are many tiers that you can choose from, and if everyone who listens gave only $5 a month, it would make a massive positive difference to me. There's a tier in there for small business subscription, just like the one Peter Papp took up from Peter and the Herd. This is the one where your business gets a mention each podcast. Peter works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery and equine communication, human and horse relationship building. Peter has actually had communication with my mare Gypsy, who's the one you see in the podcast picture with me, and he was spot on about everything, so I can highly recommend his work personally. You'll find the links to Peter's work in the show notes. Now it's time to give a shout out to our new Patreon subscribers, Anna Laurie and Sarah Powell. Thank you so much for your support. It's very, very much appreciated. In this episode, I speak with Bex Tasker from Positively Together. Bex works with positive reinforcement to help horse owners build confidence and works towards the goal, the ultimate goal for her, is her student no longer needing her and at some stage is able to take the reins themselves, pardon the pun, and move forward. So she's a great teacher in that way, and and also in that way she's able to help more people. Bex has a really interesting life story of working as a customs drug detector at the airport in New Zealand, and then she moved into senior intelligence roles for New Zealand law enforcement agencies, and it's a good story. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Bex is also a wonderful trainer, obviously, who even though working in positive reinforcement or clicker training, she supports and learns from many styles of training. And I really love her open mind and heart and her ability to put the horse first by understanding that even though she knows an awful lot um, from her many, many years of experience, she's still a student of the horses we all are. So sit back and relax or enjoy your drive or mucking out your stables and paddocks as you learn more from the wonderful Bex Tasker. Here is Bex. Bex, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for asking me. Ah, It's a pleasure to have you here. So Bex, tell me a little bit about what it is that you do. So I teach people to teach horses. So positive reinforcement is, is my jam. That's, that's what I love. I'm super passionate about, about positive reinforcement training. Um, so often we refer to that as clicker training. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I'm an all, I consider myself to be an all-species trainer, but, um, but my 
absolute primary focus is horses and enabling and empowering the human end of the lead rope to um, to understand their horses better and to to have the tools to be able to train with empathy and um, you know um, having a a conscious understanding of how what we are doing as humans is impacting on our horses and their welfare and their well-being and helping them to be able to um, function in our human world basically. Mm, Beautiful and I would love to know how this all began for you. I've had a little bit of a a read up about you and it's a really fascinating story. Did you grow up with horses? Yeah so my mum's horsey so she's the one that infected me with the with the bug Um, and I got I started riding when I was eight um, getting lessons when I was eight and then I got my first pony when I was 10 so um, I was a you know before that I was you know running wild around the bush and the and the beach as many Kiwi kids do but then once horses came along that's the the majority of my memories are around around my ponies basically um Mm -hmm. you know after the age of of about 10 and right through till the end of my teens I was um I was brought up in the pony club world so um we lived right on the beach with no land so I grazed my my pony at pony club for the whole time um so I was very much a part of the pony club world and I was a passionate show jumper in my teenage years particularly um yeah and was that a traditional training what method yeah so so you know what I think most people would consider is pretty you know pretty typical traditional pony club style yeah, yeah just and you know the the when I look back the thing that always strikes me is is um you know in comparison to I guess my world now my my understanding now is is the fact that I I mean, I loved my horses so much and I spent a lot of time working with them, obviously, and riding them and things like that. Um, But I never really understood what I was doing and how it, whether it was working and why it was working. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so these days, um, I think that's the thing that that when I look back at my memories of of being a, a kid with ponies and I had a wonderful time with them and, you know, I remember cantering around the paddock and and sort of playing make-believe games about I I can't even remember but you know escaping from the dragons and you know all that kind of stuff like you do on your pony on a a sunny sunny Saturday and um and um yeah and and really they were you know um she was my her name was Susie Q she was a fat little fat little chestnut and um she was she was my best mate and we just yeah we just hung out a lot and and just played around but um yeah that's probably with hindsight that's the thing that strikes me the most about when i when i think about my early years with horses is um is the the fact that i didn't really think about how to change their behavior or how what i was doing was impacting on their behavior if that makes sense yeah. mm. and do you believe now that your little susie q was in on the games Oh, good question. Because um, huh. I can but, see a horse, I can see a little pony and a little girl both having fun running away from dragons. And I believe that if you were in the world of wonder like that, I think your horse would have been having so much fun with it. And that's my own personal opinion when I see that picture. I'd yeah. Know what you think. I would certainly like to think that. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, we've always got, you know, memory is not a, a reliable thing. We've always got the you know, the lens of our, our, our life over the top of our memories. But, um, but um, yeah, I certainly don't recall. There's only a, a very few occasions where I recall having issues with things like trying to catch her and her not wanting to be caught. For the most part, she was, you know, and certainly all the photographs that I've seen, she's, she's 
pretty pretty content, pretty happy, ears forward, chilled out, lower lip sort of drooping in the sunshine. Um, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, what a beautiful thing to do when you're a kid. And how did that play out once you left school? Did you go into horse training? Where did life take you? Yeah, so I, like so many um, people do, sort of um, hit the kind of 18-ish. Um, I had a boyfriend at that time and um, life just kind of moved on. And I think that the world, that I was very into my show jumping, but I can't say I was ever massively successful at it. You know, I was I was jumping some pretty big heights and things like that, but it's not like I was coming home with money or, or first places all the time because we never had the money to have fancy, um, you know, you know, really top quality horses. I had mm. horses with, with issues, which is other stories. But um, um, after, yeah, I ended up selling my horses when I was maybe 18. And I went off to summer camp in America and taught horse riding to little little American kids um, in Pennsylvania and New York. Um, and, yeah. And how was that as an 18-year-old? Did you see big differences or was it just easy for you to transition? I was, it was pretty easy, to be honest, because the particular camp that I was at really let us have a lot of autonomy. They didn't know anything about horses. It was just, you know, they would um, get some, um, I don't know what they call them over there, but basically they'd be in the on the stations and probably herding cattle or something during the the rest of the year and then for three months they, they would they would lease these horses off to the summer camp and um and so the summer camp people knew nothing about horses and they would hire people like me to go over and just basically take care of it so we were really in charge of how things worked and what we did and, and yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty fun actually. yeah was, yeah and it was a bit of an insight too I recall about um horsemanship in other countries so we there was uh three I think three of us um girls in our sort of late teens early 20s who were the, you know the horse camp people and um you know one of them from South Africa I recall she she's a very experienced horse person good rider but didn't even know how to tie a horse up didn't even know how to tie a slip knot because she'd been in livery her whole life wow she turned up there which is so different from for, certainly from the Kiwi and Aussie experience of what mm. it's like um and for you know most other places most other people as well but yeah that was a real eye-opener for me because certainly in New Zealand that just doesn't really happen but but she'd spent her entire life riding but never actually cared for a horse so I thought that was fascinating anyway that's an aside but yeah that's amazing but it's not again I I grew up in Australia so I'm I am more attuned to your way of doing things it amazes me a lot about that you know yeah and you would think that people um, would have more curiosity and interest and desire to yeah to have a broader spectrum of learning around if they're that interested in animals but hmm. yeah well that that's my thought as well it's like I couldn't imagine somebody else leading the horse away that I'd ridden I that's right it must feel a bit odd wouldn't it but yeah. yeah um so after yeah after summer camp I um came home and I ended up studying vet nursing um and pretty much knew that I didn't want to actually be a vet nurse but um but really, really was obsessive by that stage about training and behavior. So I got really deeply, really strongly into, <laughs> obsessively, shall we say, into my dogs and into dog training and into clicker training with my dogs. So um, I was by that point probably 20 and absolutely dead set on training and behavior as an absolute passion. And it hasn't stopped since and I'm now. <clears throat> almost 40 so um, <laughs> been a while so it's been a while it's been a while how did you find clicker training how did it come into your awareness I my boyfriend and I decided we were going to get a dog and we decided in the infinite wisdom of um 
you know, a 19 and a 20 year old to get an Alaskan Malamute, which if anyone knows anything about dogs is probably not what you would recommend as a first ever, um, you know, obviously I, we, I had dogs all through my, all through my life, but they were, you know, they were my childhood dogs that could do no wrong and just sat in the sun at the backyard and played in the bush with us. Um, again, I never, never did any training as such. They just existed alongside us like siblings. Um, but the Malamute was my first baby, you know, he was, and so we took him along to, um, I took him along to the, what was a pretty typical kind of suburban dog obedience type class, you know, small group. And there was this elderly English lady who trained border collies and she had us walking around in circles with a choke chain on and telling the dog to heal and teaching them to sit and all of that. And uh, it was all, you know, so far so uninspiring. But then on the last day of that course, she handed us a clicker. And I don't recall her explaining very much or anything at all about how it worked or what it was or anything like that, but she handed it to us and on the back of it was com. And being the the, um, the research nerd and the analyst that I've always been, I've always been just you know, interested in, in researching and obviously something she said had sparked my interest and so I went home and jumped on the website. Um, and yeah, that, that was the beginning of... The beginning of the beginning really that was it it would all just I just dived mm. absolutely head first into an obsession with just this the big thing I think for me is that like I, I sort of touched on earlier I've had horses all my life I've always been an animal person but I, I never until that moment had never really understood that there was something below it that was causing the animal to do what they were doing mm-hmm. and that that was causing you know, that, that my, the way that my behavior impacted on them and vice versa, that there was this language and the science behind it and actually this beautiful, beautiful logic to the, the, the way that it was all working. And when I started learning about um, behavioral science and learning theory and, and particularly positive reinforcement training at all, just, it just went chink, chink, chink in my brain and suddenly started whirring and yeah, hasn't stopped. Mm-hmm. I'm still literally obsessive about um, you know going to seminars and workshops and courses and and literally have just never lost interest since that day. So it really is a. I was very very lucky to discover my passion and my, you know, my thing at such an early age. It's um that's a blessing for sure. Yeah, you sure were. That that's yeah, that's amazing. And so you didn't work with horses initially. You started with dogs, and that's where your career took you. Yeah, so um, I ended up, um, so I was still out of out of horses, um, you know, like when people stop paying your bills for you, it makes it a little bit more tricky to have totally. um, And so I, yeah, I did the vet nursing thing and I ended up um, working with guide dogs for a little while, not as a trainer, but just with um, in the breeding centre and things like that, and then went on to set my sights on being a, a drug dog handler for customs. And, what was that um, like? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. So I did that for a few years. Um, and I, I thought that I knew a fair bit by then about training. Um, I was probably 24, I think, when I became a dog handler. So that's pretty young um, in, a, in a pretty serious operational and very male-dominated um, field. Um, yeah. uh, but, um, I mean, I, I did know a fair bit. I've been doing a lot, of, a lot of work and a lot of research, and I've been training dogs obsessively for dog sport and doing demos and you know things like that with my own dogs but then went into an operational um, field and unfortunately at that point the drug dog team at customs um, 
had um, a lot of the senior trainers had just left and they'd had a change of, of, of trainers and, and things like that. And it just, I was pretty naive and, and very inexperienced in that world. And I didn't feel at that time like I had the mentors to, to really help me through it. Um, so I was kind of going it alone just a little bit, or that's, that's how I recall feeling at the time. So, um, so it was challenging. It was, I learned a lot, um, you know, and in hindsight, there was definitely a lot of things that I could have done better, but, um, yeah, huge, huge learning, huge life learning from that whole experience and, um, really helped me to cement further my own ethics and my own philosophies around dog training and how I wanted to train, um, Customs drug dogs are trained with positive reinforcement when they're operational, mm-hmm. when they're searching, you know, they're on a harness and we, we give a toy and things like that. Um, but at that time, all of the, everything other than that was pretty traditional. It was trained down at police college with military and police dog trainers. It was choke chains and it was, I just remember constantly being told to put more muscle into it, into the jerking of, of the choke chain. So, so, you know, I had this big, black labrador and um i was i'm very slim naturally always have been and um you know this i sort of again my my memory of it is this, this basically this young slip of a girl being told to, to yank yank the dog harder with the chain um by these big uniformed police and, and um <laughs> and military dog trainers and um yeah and i i knew there was better ways and you know one memorable day i've told the story before but you know one memorable day i remember uh, taking the dog and going and hiding you know hiding behind a warehouse at the airport and just clicker training him to do what he needed to do because i was just like i don't need to yank him in the neck i don't need to you know to make him yeah to make him submit to me i know how to train this stuff it's pretty straightforward and so yeah so i was really chafing against having other people tell me how to train and it's, um, at 24, a 24-year-old young woman's not really going to stand up to a whole bunch of police. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, and so there was a real... All these years, it's not like you could go in and start making change. You really it, had to... Exactly. It was not a place where I could make change. And there was a massive, obviously a massive power differential um, with the, the trainers within customs and also the police and military. But um, yeah, um, that, yeah, that was... One one incident down at um, at Trentham, which is where the um, in New Zealand where the military um, train the army base down there. That's where we graduated as dog handlers. And um, I, just, I recall the police dog handler, the police dog trainer, the you know the head instructor taking my dog off me in frustration and yanking the choke chain so hard that this this Labrador essentially flew through the air and sort of screamed <sighs> at the end of the choke chain and I had tears in my eyes and I had to very quickly find an excuse to turn around and tie my shoe or something like that so that they didn't see because I didn't feel like that was um, going to be um, an option to you know so yeah there was some there was some big lessons and I don't mean to suggest that those those guys were abusive because you know I think for the most part they were doing what they understood to do they were using the tools that they understood how Mm -hmm. to use and these days I've got um and that was 20 years ago. That's right. So these days yeah. I've got contacts and friends in that world and they're doing amazing work and they're, they're change makers for sure. Um, mm. And they're introducing positive reinforcement and marker training into all of the, the detector dog world. And, and it's, you know, they're doing amazing things. So um, I think, yeah, one, one, one of them said to me that, you know, Bex, you were just a bit ahead of your time. Um, yeah. So I, I basically, I burned out after a couple of years. So that was my, that was my customer story. Mm. Um, 
yeah, and, and I went into um, I went into law enforcement intelligence after that and, and left training behind and sort of um, lost my mojo a little bit, I suppose, um, and also had a, 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 a relationship breakup, a relationship of about seven or eight years breakup um, as well, and he took he took the Malamute with him when we broke up, and so it was all a bit of a, a tumultuous time in my life, mm. um, but shortly after, I got back into horses, so, you know, there's a, there's a, <laughs> a golden side to everything. Yeah. So how, what did you do in law enforcement intelligence? What is that? Uh, so when I first joined customs, the, the, they, they, they have you do sort of personality tests and aptitude tests and things like that. And the HR person sat me down and, and she said to me, you know, you shouldn't be going operational frontline in the dog section. You should be in intelligence because your abstract reasoning levels are really high or something like that. And I was like, no, whatever. I just want to train dogs for a living. And I ignored her. But um, once I sort of decided it was time to leave dog section um i remembered that discussion and i went and learned more about what intelligence actually is and um and i was an intelligence professional for over about a decade after that so um that, that's been the majority of my professional life outside of training animals and what it is is basically you um you you uh putting the pieces of the jigsaw together in terms of risk. So in customs, we're looking for risk coming through the border. So it might be drugs or it might be, um, you know, sexual abuse images or it might be whatever it might be, the things that we don't want in the country. Um, and the intelligence analysts are the ones who look for the potential risk and highlight that so that they can run operations at the border to prevent it coming in or so we can help the investigators to do their job. Um, to find yeah to find the find the bad guys mm-hmm. um yeah so it's um remarkable now i've got my master's degree in intelligence analysis and and what you know having done it for such a long time what is interesting to me is actually there are some real interesting crossovers you know um between uh what i was doing there in the intelligence world and between the, this this the science of of animal training of horse training wow in what way uh, so, so intelligence works essentially using the scientific method. You know, you're, you're going out there and you're you're gathering information and you're researching and then you're you're putting together hypotheses and then you're um, you know you're testing them and, and um, so your hypothesis might be that a particular drug is going to surge um, and it's going to come from a particular part of the world and so we should therefore be searching containers from that part of the world or flights from that part of the world. Um, I personally don't believe that's any different from the way that we train. So. I often tell my students and clients, you know, I want you to think about horse training um, as if you're a, a scientist. We are, we are look, observing, we're taking data from observing our, our animals, um, you know, in the environment they're in, in the pasture together, or, or you know, um, if there's a behavioural problem, we're observing what they're doing and we're making hypotheses based on our own experience and our research based, you know, to tell us why they might be doing it and how we might fix it. And then we've got a list of hypotheses and, and we go out there and we work our way through it. And we, we, we see whether, you know, we ask the animal, right? We go out there and we ask the horse, um, is this going to help you? Can I, will this tool help you? Will this, you know, if I change this about the way I'm standing or the way I'm looking at you or how much, you know, if I, if I reinforce you in a, in a particular way at a particular time, will that help? And we, we gather more data to find out whether it's working. Um, and for me, I find that that way of looking at it really takes the pressure off because so many people think that there's just one answer. My horse mm-hmm. is broken. There's something wrong with him. He's terrified of this or, you know, I've really stuffed this up and, and now something's going terribly wrong and I'm too p- 
paralyzed with fear that I'll stuff it up worse to even go and try anything. Or I don't know the way ahead. I'll have to find some guru to tell me what the, the answer is, because how could I possibly know? If you look at it like a scientist and go, actually, I'm just going to gather information. I'm going to make some hypotheses, you know, guesses, educated guesses as to what might be going on. And then I'm going to go out there and I'm going to test it. I'm going to play around. I'm going to see if it works. If it doesn't work, it's okay. I'll try something else. And yeah. yeah. I love that. And also there's a, a lot of people um, who have questions about their horse. And when you really sit down and talk to them as, as you're getting them to do in a more structured way, they already know the answer. That exactly. they actually, because it's their horse, they, they, it's in there. I'm like, you already know this. We've just got to keep talking to, you know, help you figure it out. But I know you've got the answer in there somewhere. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, really helping people to really internalize that understanding that there is no one solution. Um, you know, there's no one person who has all the answers and there's mm. no one solution. There's many roads up the mountain and, um, you know, I think that that gives people a lot of um, a lot of relief to to understand that. But yeah, bringing bringing training up, you know, the, the training that people are already doing, or the the knowledge they already have, and bringing it up to the conscious level. That's something I feel really passionate about. Helping them to understand what they're already doing that is working so well in so many ways, so that they can do more of it and they can build on it. Yeah, beautiful. So it's not kind of scrap it all and start again. It's it's exactly. more let's look at what you've got and how we can work with it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so you got back into horse training. How did you? How did it then? Life lead you back to horses? Yeah. So I um, ended up getting um, a a little mini um, just because he was cute and I just wanted a horse. Um, <laughs> and the first thing I did, of course, was to. Um, actually, I think he was a little Welsh. Anyway, he was he was little. He was his kid's pony and very pretty. But the first thing I did, of course, was I wanted to click a trainer because I was, um, you know, I'd, I'd had such incredible success with, um, you know, got such incredible results with clicker training my own dogs. And I knew that this was something that would work for all animals. I'd read Karen Pryor's book, Don't Shoot the Dog. And I'd, you know, um, I was aware of the work that Alexandra Kurland was doing, um, who's one of the, the first and most prominent um, equine clicker trainers in the world, certainly at that time. Um, mm. And of course, this was all prior to social media. And, you know, I was on all the, the list serves and the Yahoo groups and, and all of that in the very, um, you know, in the very early 2000s. And, um, but when I got my hands on a horse and started applying my knowledge and my skills, which at that point, you know, I'd been to quite a few seminars with really good trainers and I was doing good work with dogs. It really backfired with the horse. <laughs> it really didn't go that well, to be honest. I tried wow. to train like a dog and it yeah. didn't, didn't work. Um, you know, it, it went badly. Um, I ended up in the end, a few years later, selling him to another home who, who had kids and who weren't going to train him with food and they probably, they probably succeeded where I failed. He was a massive learning curve for me. It made me really um, be, get really humble and, um, and realize just how, yes, the principles of the way that animals learn are the same, you know, from a, from a scallop to a scientist, as they say, you know, mm. we all learn, we all learn the same way. However, the, the principles and the foundation learning for horses because of the ethology and, and the way that horses are and, and who, who they've, been designed to be um, over years of evolution um, is very different from dogs and the way that we train them needs to be quite different and I learned that definitely the hard way turned him into a frantic and anxious and biting 
little guy. Um, I wish I could get him back now because he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and then just kept fighting through. Kept, you know, ordered VHS videos from America and had them imported, you know, to try and work out what I was doing wrong. And um, yeah, that's just, great. Just learned, you didn't get on up. the ground. You just kept ah. kept going. So who was the next horse? So I. No, so I got, and I mean, I also had a, um, um, shortly after that, I got a, my riding horse, um, who was a off the track thoroughbred, um, and I used some clicker training with her, but she was just naturally a lot more calm about it, and she was, you know, it worked well, and it was fine, and I just integrated that with the normal kind of uh, more, you know, traditional riding stuff that I was doing at that time, um, so this would have been 2005, 2006, maybe. Um, and I continued to battle on though. I just knew I was so absolutely deep in my gut, absolutely knew that this was something I wanted to do with horses, that there was no reason why my dogs should get to be trained with positive reinforcement and my horses should have to be trained with only pressure. Mm -hmm. I just, that felt incongruent to me. I had dissonance about that, but I just didn't know how to get through this, you know, the challenges that I was having with the horses. So I just kept persevering basically. Um, my husband says I'm stubborn, but I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> I got a wild kaimanoa. So in New Zealand, our, our wild horses are, are the kaimanoa horses, and they come literally straight off the range, untouched by humans, into yards and onto trucks and delivered to your house. So um, very different from the, the Mustang model, for example, in the States mm. where, they're, where they're in pens. Um, and that's a really amazing experience. I've done that with two or, th you know, two or three horses. Um, and that's a massive learning journey. That was a really beautiful experience because you, you really are. That's a completely blank slate. Um, so I used clicker training with him. Um, completely just, blank yeah. slate, but also um, different to domestic horses because it's been shown yes. that the wild horses have more um, connections in their brain. They actually hold a lot more intelligence um, because of they have to survive. So yeah, well, yeah, very create a lot more. So they're a lot smarter. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? I'd heard that. I haven't read much about that, but I had heard that. And, um, and he was certainly, you know, my first Kaimanoa was, um, um, he was quite young. He would have been, I imagine, we're guessing maybe six months. Um, and bonded immediately to my, my very sweet um, geldings at that time, but, um, but uh, still very different from them in, in personality. But, mm -hmm. yeah. So my, my geldings I've, that I've still got there, I'm looking at them right now in the, in the paddock there, are 9 and 10, or 8 and 10. Um, and I've had both of them um, since they were tiny foals. Um, and they've been both been quick trained right from the start. So, um, so yeah, I just persevered through it, basically, and just learned the lessons the hard way and, and uh, kept on researching and kept on learning. And, and I've got, you know, I had the books and I had the videos and I just figured it out the hard way. <laughs> and what were your biggest lessons you learned during that time? Um, not to be so action focused. Um, I think anyone who's clicker trained dogs and then moved into horses is probably nodding knowingly right now because they know what I'm talking about. With dogs, when you train dogs, you can just, you just crack right into it. You know, I could walk up to anyone's dog on the street and just start training them to do some cool stuff and then walk away and, and the dog would be better off. Mm -hmm. You know, the dog would be, be perfectly fine. There'd be no, no um, residual issues as a result of that. With a horse, we, we try to do that and we end up with a horse that's um, anxious and um, 
offering behavior all the time, holding anxiety and tension in their body. So clicker training, um, if it's not done right, can be quite transactional. You know, it can be quite, oh, you know, you do this for me and I will give you food in return. Um, and this is a really important point, I think, because um, you see that a lot on social media where people say, clicker training, turn my horse into a crazy horse. Mm-hmm. No, treats don't work. Yeah, and you know what? I feel you because it did mm. for me as well. And you know why? Because I did it wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and this is the thing, right, is that like, any type of training, as we all know, can, um, can cause damage if you do it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and with horses, what I really emphasize is um you know my my core foundation um lesson for all horses and humans when they introduce something as powerful as a food reinforcer um you know with with great power comes great responsibility Mm -hmm. we start we start introducing something which is was so important to the horse as food is you know um physically and 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 everything that horses are designed to trickle graze, you know, everything about them is designed for food to be a very important thing in their world. Um, and we introduce that. We need to um, find a way to help them to feel relaxed about it and, and, and all of that. So my core foundation exercise behavior um, process that I teach people is what I call breathe and be, which is literally for the human and the horse to just, just to be together but with food in the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it involves really consistent, really consistent and predictable food delivery and really precise food delivery so that the horse can relax and understand where the food is coming from and when it's coming and why they're getting it. And um, they can understand that they don't have to, the cogs don't have to turn. We're not teaching them to problem solve straight away. We're teaching them to exist in a world where there's a human and there's food and the food will come to me and you know I don't have to rev my engine at the red light constantly I can just idle quietly and the food will still come because I trust my human to do it in a way that's predictable and consistent and you know it's a it's almost a meditation of sorts but the 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 food is involved so rather than just taking away the food because it can cause them to get tense and anxious we incorporate that into that sort of exercise so that, that's not something I would even need to do with a dog they'd probably benefit from it but, um, but yeah you don't need to in the way that you do with the horse yeah that's um that's so beautifully put I love that because a lot of times when I see people say you know food made my horse crazy I'm like but I know so many people who've overcome those things so it just means there's human error Yes, exactly. In, in that respect, yeah. you know, and you know, you can, as as proven by me, with a decent set of skills back then, um, the human error is not necessarily in your training skill. Mm. It's you know, like I had, I had excellent timing. I had some really good free shaping skills. I had, you know, I had those tools, but I didn't have an understanding of how to help the horse um, feel relaxed and how I needed to be more present and grounded in my body in order for them to. Um, to co-regulate with me and you know all of that all of that stuff was missing there was I had no 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 mentors no role models to be able to pass that stuff on to me so that's what I've learned the hard way and that I'm trying mm. to share to share with the horse world because it's all all these issues are completely completely resolvable it's, it's you know they're not insurmountable issues and then you end up with a horse that you've not only got a relaxed and connected and engaged and eager learner. Um, but you've also got this really powerful way of, of inspiring behavior. Mm. And I, I see on your website that you have worked with a lot of different types of animals. Are they all different? 
to once you bring this because you've got the same method yeah. of training are they that, all different it's a really good question i don't feel so far that they are as different as horses are to all of the rest if that makes sense yeah and, you know really I've, interesting. I've got friends who work in the zoological world and they have trained a lot wider variety of animals oh, than i have good because i wanted to bring that in somehow thank you uh, yeah i mean i, I really so, want to get a broad spectrum i mean you see this done with elephants exactly get done with yep. rhinos you know lions tigers everything so is there is there a difference from your experience yes so i mean It'd be really interesting to ask that question of people who have worked in the zoological world. Um, so I've worked with a lot of different species, but they've all been domestic animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the the one that stands out as the most um, different from all the rest is the horse, in, in that um, they really require such an emphasis on on that, on what I've just been talking about, on the, the, the predictability and the trust and the grounded, breathing, relaxed, etc whereas with my my cat with with pigs with sheep with goats with cows of clickage i haven't done a lot of work with birds um you know but with all the other the sorts of i've, I've trained a fish um so there's <laughs> things like there's things like like with my fish very very short sessions we're talking two or three reinforces and that's it for the day um yeah. you know with my cat she loses interest after about six reinforces my dog can literally work for 40 minutes without stopping <laughs> if i let him um so there's differences like that and there's differences in speed you know the the you have to have a lot more patience to train a rabbit than you do a dog because they just don't respond as quickly. Mm -hmm. There's differences like that, but um, the horse, it really, I mean, my theory, and it's only a theory, but my theory is it really comes from their ethology. It comes from who they are as a species. They've evolved for millions of years with this incredibly delicate gut, um, gut, you know, digestive system, really quite an impractical digestive system, really. Mm, compared to other animals and you know they absolutely need to trickle feed i mean as 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 you know like you can't have a horse go more than you know three four hours without food without there being negative impacts and they know that they know how important food is yeah um it really plays a key i mean obviously every animal needs food to survive but with horses it feels to me like it is just so central to the importance of their own feeling of safety and 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 survival that it, it has a, a higher place on that sort of pyramid of that hierarchy of, of needs. That's, that's the way that's, you know, this is, this is my, what I've surmised anyway. Mm, but also what I hear from you, from what you're saying is that you have to be so much more aware of yourself when you're doing quick clicker training with horses, as opposed to other species. Is that right? I, I certainly feel that way. Um, I get, I think all horse people, you know, whether you're a positive reinforcement trainer or not is, is um, perhaps irrelevant because um, if you've got a relationship with a horse, if you've had a relationship with a horse, you know how um, we share uh, energy. Um, yeah. You I would have better words for this, Tracy. Yeah, absolutely. Because I used to do therapy work with them and it's the congruence. Yes, you're not congruence, they can't settle. So it's, it's really, really interesting that horses yeah. are so different in, this, in the same style of training, but you have to be more aware. I, I just feel like they, you know, we, we yeah, we share that. Um, you know, I mean, you know what it's, everyone knows what it's like when you walk into the paddock and interact with your horse, but you've had a really, really bad day and they can pick mm. up on your, you know, they can pick up on how, on your thoughts and, and your, um, how focused you are and whether you're truly in the moment 
whether you're joining them in the moment or whether your brain is elsewhere and, and all of that. And of course, yeah. every other animal on the planet, I'm sure, can do that. But um, so I don't know whether this is, you know, this is my, it's just my 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 feelings. But um, I feel like that happens more with the horses, whereas with my and horses dog, reflect it to you. That, yeah. Whereas with my dog, for example, if I've had a bad day, I can still go out there and train stuff, and he'll still be happy and silly and joyful, and and he's less um, impacted by my mood. Mm. I feel, um, yeah. And more able to change your mood in a positive way too. Yes. Yeah. 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 My, well, certainly with my own horses, um, with my, my heart horse with Hokey, he and I just, we will just spiral up together into the, into the, into the heavens. Um, you know, if he's until I've only, I've only just learned how to manage my own heart rate and energy and grounding and all that kind of stuff to the extent because he and I are very emotionally intertwined and mm. if he for most of his life if he would get uptight I would get uptight and we would just spiral up together there, there wasn't any separating us um yeah and Anna Blake came to stay with me um uh and she met Hokey for the first time so Anna's my friend from Colorado that some of your listeners will have listened yeah. to your interview with her and I remember when she first saw me and Hokey working together and she went oh yeah you you better be careful she, she, she relayed the story about how she'd had a horse like that once where she was so emotionally entwined that she actually had to wing him off her you know, Is that the one had, that she had to go to couples therapy for? Possibly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, she was commenting on just how, how tightly entwined, you know, this is my words, but how tightly entwined our kind of our souls were. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely there was a big portion of his life where that wasn't actually a dysfunctional thing. That was, I, I couldn't seem to separate. And these days he's much happier and much more relaxed. And I'm, and I've found a way to really ground and to help him to regulate down when he starts and he's now a demo horse for me and comes along to really, really huge events, massive expos and things like that. And he's in the arena with me and, and we, we manage really well now. So that he's, yeah, he's been my journey horse for sure. Mm. And how did you learn that? How do you self-regulate? I, I haven't, I'd love to do a lot more study into the, I listened to your episode from a while ago with Sarah Schlody from Equisoma, um, mm. you know, and, and it's all of that kind of field. I'd love to learn more about that kind of stuff. So I've actually got something behind it, but my learning is, has all been from my own experiences so far. Mm. Um, and for me personally, it's, it's, I, I, I consider training with horses to be my own form of meditation. Um, you know, that's one of the only times in my life where my brain is completely focused and completely, and I'm in flow. I'm completely in the moment because when you're working at Liberty with positive reinforcement with a horse, that's really clicker savvy and is really engaged in the game and is just problem solving alongside you. And you're having this dialogue, this back and forth conversation. That's just heaven to me. That's just, and Hokey's the guy that does that the best. He's, um, he's a very, very clever learner and, um, and so for me, that's meditation. That's where I can be truly grounded and in, in, in my own world mm. with my horse. Um, so, so, so I don't meditate outside of horses, although I probably should. Um, and then other than that, it's, it's, it, I mean, I talked about breathe and be, and that's a, a really pivotal, I do that with all my horses, even my, you know, like just all the time. It's, it's part of every interaction. It's part of every training session is, 
that awareness of the importance of grounding my energy down through the ground and breathing into my belly and finding stillness and precision in my body movement, awareness of my own body in space and how that impacts on my horse. Um, you know, massive. You can I can make a massive change in a horse's behavior just by coaching the human to change something really tiny about the way they're holding their shoulders. And I find that really interesting. I find that yeah. endlessly fascinating how much yeah. we can make it. Yeah. And you see it work in the saddle because people are, are literally um, doing it with biomechanics, but it works just as well on the ground. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is that you know I've done a lot of of um, my my own riding and dressage coaches does ride a ride a biomechanics, and I really enjoy it from that perspective. But for me, actually, I feel as much or sometimes more of a connection on the ground than I do on top, which seems to be different from many people's experience. But partly, maybe that's because Hokey is an unridden horse; he's got some historic pain and trauma, which is um, part of why he's been such a journey for me. But um, but he's unridden, and so we do all of our conversations on the ground and I have just as much of a connection with him as I ever would on his back. Um, mm. Yeah. Wow. So what came next for you? How did you, how did you turn it all into a business? When did it all, oh, oh, pardon the pun. When did it all click for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I was, I had a baby. Um, and we ended up, so I'd had horses all of this time. I lived, um, I was working, um, in the city, but, um, we lived on 20 acres and I had horses all that time and I was going through all this learning while I was also working full time and then, um, had a baby and eventually we realized that, you know, me, um, working, you know, being away from home 12 hours a day was not the way that we wanted to raise our child um, once maternity leave was over um, and um, a few other sort of circumstantial things. So we ended up moving down um, down the coast to the Bay of Pliny in New Zealand. And um, what that meant was that I was no longer near um, the main centres, which is where I could do intelligence jobs. So, um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't roles for me in the, in the world that I'd just spent the last 10 years in from a, in a professional capacity. Um, and I had a, a young child anyway, um, but then um, I was never destined to be a, a housewife and nothing else. Um, yeah. And so, um, and I'd actually had already been asked to, um, I hosted a clinic with um, the, the beautiful Georgia Bruce from Australia. So I hosted her um, here in New Zealand and um, met a really, you know, a really wide range of people through that experience of being the host of that clinic. Um, and, you know, that, started getting um a lot of requests to actually run my own clinics here in New Zealand so um was doing that kind of on the side a little bit and then just decided to get serious about it basically just decided just gradually did more and more of it and um and then you know as you do just put a name to it and created a Facebook page and here we are (laughs) not quite here we are but you know like that was yeah so that was five six years ago I think yeah um and yeah it's it's been a it's been absolutely amazing absolutely amazing experience life-changing experience to be able to do I just feel so blessed like to be able to do what I'm doing um, full-time to be able to change horses lives and teach humans which actually I've discovered is my overwhelming passion is empowering the humans Um, I don't take client horses on 
at home, I spend all of my energy on empowering the humans to do it themselves. My philosophy is that, you know, we can train a horse and we can improve that one horse's life. But if we train a person, then we're going to improve the lives of every animal that they come into contact with. So, um, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So that's, I'm, I'm, I feel very, very lucky. So yeah, now, now I travel around and teach and um, teach online all around the world. And yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and do you teach people how to start their own horses as well? Um, starting them under saddle. I have a saddle. Yeah. Yeah. I, ha- I mean, I've got clients who do it and I work with them. Mm. Um, um, the majority of people who are drawn to um, positive reinforcement often are either working with horses who have got such issues that they're not rideable mm-hmm. um, or, or not rideable yet. Um, so a lot of my clients are in that position where they, they and, and also I think people that, that are drawn to this type of training are very aware of um, their horse's emotions and um, their horse's well-being. I would argue even more so than, you know, the average horse person. And therefore they, I've got a lot of clients with horses that are absolutely rideable, but they won't ride them because their standards for the horse's welfare are so high that they won't get on them unless they genuinely feel that the horse is is happy and comfortable and and is a volunteering partner in the process. So we are working through um, a lot of my online uh, group members um, are working towards that goal. and, And obviously many of them have met that goal. Um, and then I've got, you know, a, a, another bunch of, of, of clients, students who are already riding and have, you know, reasonably normal sort of typical backgrounds in horsemanship, but they're incorporating positive reinforcement, they're incorporating clicker training into what they're already doing, which also works beautifully. So, mm. yeah, yeah. I, I started my own horses. Um, so my little guy, Minstrel, um, he's Hokie's half-brother. So I started him myself and he now teaches kids, I teach um, kids lessons and you know my my little boy rides them and i i ride and potter around the farm bridalists and things like that but um wow yeah and what's one story that you can tell us of someone who came to you with a difficult horse or a difficult horse that you worked with and the changes that you were able to make um there's a there's a there's quite a few um yeah there is who's, who's <laughs> calling to you now who's the one that pops into your mind there's a there's a few that that have been um impressed uh, impressive um exciting for me because of the speed at which i've been able to see progress away from anxiety and things like that and towards confidence so for example i had a horse um who uh, a client with a horse who um absolutely couldn't pick his feet up um at all um to you know he was so anxious about the idea of picking his feet up that um that he would kick himself in the in the leg in the opposite leg um violently wrenching his his leg away and really really upset at the idea of of having his feet handled clearly had had them grabbed and held by people in the past um and the owner had struggled for a long time with that and, and didn't feel comfortable um his foot his foot care was obviously suffering and all of that. Um, and yeah, two, two weeks probably of, of um, consistent short sessions. And he stood for about 45 minutes um, for the trimmer to trim his feet. Um, wow. You know, things like that. You know, I've had others which were really, really um, traumatized at the idea of worming. So, Usually when horses respond that way, it's not the wormer, it's the 
battle that precedes the Wurma, right? Mm-hmm. So so this horse had been sort of strong-armed by multiple men in order to get the Wurma tube into it in the past um, and was absolutely terrified to the point of hiding in the back of the, the, the pen and, and trembling whenever you even had one in your hand. Um, and, you know, the a- absolute turnaround to the point where you can now hold it out and the horse will walk up and, and take it in their mouth because you've explained to them that, that they're safe to do so and that the impacts of that will be more often positive. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I love, I'm, I'm my favorite thing. And I think this comes from my intelligence background is, is, is piecing together the underlying connecting lines between all these different ways of training. So, you know, the way that, that I helped the horse with the worming tube and the horse with the feet is the same thing I'll do for a, a client that's got a, a ridden problem or a mounting block issue, or a, they won't go on the float or, you know, it's all the same. It's all the same underlying principles of how we can communicate with the horse and how we can inspire and motivate them. Um, but they're just different, you know, different mm. outer trappings. That's, yeah. that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. And you, you spoke of Anna Blake before, who uses what she calls affirmative training, but she's certainly not a clicker trainer. <laughs> and the two of you have... Um, and this is what I love about portions of the horse world because there are other portions of the horse world that are the opposite who go positive reinforcements crap. I don't like it. And I want, you know, I don't think it works. And then the other people are trying to say it absolutely works. And there's this whole fight going on. It's like, you're both getting great results. Can't you just work together to be kind to each other and to listen and you could actually probably learn something from each other. And, um, and can you speak to what you, how you and Anna have been able to form such a close friendship now, I believe Um, she spoke so highly of you when she came here, but you both work in different ways with horses. I think partly it's obviously it's, it's Anna and my personalities. Um, Mm. But um, yeah, we, we've got a massive, a massive um, mutual respect for each other and for each other's work. And um, even though, you know, the first time that I ever met Anna when she came to New Zealand, she was explained to me very early on, you know, um, that she was, she did not believe in treats and I'm not a clicker too. <laughs> and, um, and I just, and, um, and um, I think that I would like to think that she, after she saw me working with my horses, she realized that perhaps some of the clicker training she'd seen, I'm sure she'll tell me if she listens to this, whether, whether I've got this completely <laughs> wrong. Um, but, you know, some of the, as, as we've talked about, some clicker training can be very transactional. And it can, mm. you know, um, I think that what Anna teaches is the um, how to, to truly listen to your horse and to truly respect and respond to the communication that they are constantly giving us through through calming signals, mm. and um, and that is work that I really deeply incorporate into what I do, um, whether or not there's food involved, whether or not I'm in, I'm using positive reinforcement at the same time. Um, so that's my view on the way that our our worlds sort of meld together. Um, mm. But from a yeah, I mean, I, I've always said that to I've said several times to Anna, you know, I really love the fact that she and I can role model. The fact that we can, as professional trainers, have quite different ideas on how to do some things, and yet look at us working together. Yeah. Um, you know, we've done. Um, she's come into my online members group and done a, 
a like a Q&A, like a chat, and I've gone into hers. You know, we've done a lot of collaborative type stuff, and yeah. we were really hoping um, this year to do a clinic together, and then that got the kibosh because of um, yeah. COVID and, and travel restrictions. Um, but, um, yeah, I just think that we it's we owe it to our horses to be able to look around and see through the what type of hat they're wearing or is the you know is the, is the round pen is it is it a round pen or, an, or a rectangular dressage arena trainings train good training's good training yeah um, i personally choose for myself to train with um appetitives in other words with positive reinforcers mm. as much as possible and I personally choose never to use fear or discomfort intentionally as part of my training plan. That's my, that's my personal choice. But good training is good training. The principles are actually the same. Yeah. And even, you know, I've been to clinics with uh, people who I, uh, who um, don't do, you know, don't do things the way that I would choose to do them. I still walk away with a lot of learning. Um, mm. yeah. One of my favorite events in New Zealand, which is uh, recently, um, stopped although they're about to bring out a, a new version of it was called Equidays and that was that's run for years and it was always my favorite event of the year because you get international clinicians of all sorts of disciplines it's like Equitana mm. um, it's a big expo basically but what I love about that is I can walk from demo pen to demo pen to arena and look at all these different people and I remember sitting down and watching this this top European show jumper um, and he was he was teaching the same stuff I teach, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm on the ground and I'm using food rewards and I'm teaching my students how to get their horse to lie up to the mountain block. He was doing the same just because his student his student was on a horse and cantering up to a jump. It was it's all the same and yeah. So I think that's that's how Anna Blake and I and and others I've got other other friends that I collaborate a lot. I love collaborating with other other trainers and and. I think it encourages critical thinking. So in my work with, I do a lot of work with youth, with um, kids and teenagers and mm. um, collaborating with other trainers so that they can see with their own eyes that actually we've got horses that are displaying similar types of behaviours, you know, and we're showing them the different options for how you can train those behaviours and encouraging them to make choices as to how they might like to motivate their horse or how they might like to, to train something. And I really like that idea because again, like I said earlier in the podcast, I think back to my teenage years as a very dedicated and passionate, passionate horse kid. I don't remember thinking much about how to, different ways of doing things and, and how I might change my, you know, my behavior in order to train my horse to do something different. I was, I feel like I was following recipes given to me by coaches, but, but not really thinking critically. So. Yeah. Then that's a really good point. There's a, there's a very big difference between here are the five steps um, go out and do these five steps to actually learning why you're doing those steps. This is the reason behind the steps. This is, this is why yes. it works. Yeah. And, and this is how we can use these principles and apply yeah. them to this different behavior. You know, yeah. you remember how you trained that halt to um, trot to halt transition. We're going to do the same thing here when we're teaching our horse to, 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 to park beside the mountain block. I don't know, which, you know, whatever it might be. But yeah. Helping people to draw lines from, the training that they're already doing or they're already successful at and bringing it to the surface level and thinking about how the principles apply to other behaviors so that we're not just, um, you know, it's a terrible business model really <laughs> because I'm, t- <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to teach my students how to, how to work without me, 
you know, that's yeah. always the goal, right? But th that, then you can get more through, you know, if exactly. you've still got all the same, you know, 20, 50, 100 students in 10 years, then there's another 20, 50, 100 that are missing out. So <laughs> yes, that's a exactly. great thing. You can, yeah. you can spread yourself more through the world then. It's a wonderful yeah. thing. And I'm, I'm personally absolutely convinced um, that there is no lower age limit at which point people can't learn, kids can't learn the principles of training and how, you know, the reasons why animals are doing things and, and to think critically and creatively about how to inspire behavior in, in animals. You know, I'm, tr I'm, I'm teaching some, I mean, my own little boy's six um, and he's, he was already doing it a couple of years ago with his, you know, with his pet rabbits, you know, uh, thinking about how we can shape their behavior to find ways. I remember he was uh, wanting to walk in the gate of the little rabbit enclosure and the rabbits were at the gate and so he couldn't get through because he was he was terrified they were going to escape out of the gate and so he went and he picked some parsley and he walked over further down the, the fence line and, and just made a habit of always dropping some parsley further down the fence line so they would walk away from the gate before he walked in. You know it seems like a simple oh, thing yeah. but that is actually the very the you know the, the, the beginnings of a trainer's mind where you can shape an alternative behavior you know he's he's reinforcing he's reinforcing an, an incompatible behavior with he can't they can't go through the gate because they're eating their parsley somewhere else um, perfect yeah so perfect. <laughs> and all of it and how old was he when he was doing that four yeah yeah there you go and you know if you notice these things and bring them to the child's attention explain you know i i commented on it i narrated what what he'd done and why it had worked so that he realized you know mm -hmm. so that that was bringing that to the surface of his consciousness oh you know I and mean, he did it without thinking but after i narrated for him and, and explained to him you know questioned him as to you know why do you think that worked and you know then now when we've got other situations where the animal's doing something you know the dog's trying to rush out the door or i don't know other similar but different scenarios now he can use that knowledge in an intentional way rather than just blindly walking through the world um, and I think that a lot of, I see a lot of even adult horse owners with decades of horse ownership under their belts who I still feel can really benefit from from that process that we are maybe not reacting and just doing things unthinkingly but but consciously thinking about how our actions are impacting on our animals and, and is that making their lives better or is it making them worse? Is it making it easier or is it making it harder? And just those simple questions themselves can change lives. Just yeah. I, Literally I, what you said there can change lives of horses and animals, mm -hmm. horses and humans. Yeah. 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 And, that you know, the kids love it because they feel so empowered. Yeah, I would, if my son had done that and I told him what he was doing, he'd feel very confident yes. and, uh, and want to learn more. He would love that. He would eat it up and, and yeah. keep doing it. And wanting them, wanting to learn more is, is obviously my, <laughs> I'm going to brainwash the younger generation into being more, more ethical and, and, um, and compassionate humans. Yeah. And do you know, I think, I think they naturally already are. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, and yep. so that's why they'll be um, so ready to take up this kind of thing because yep. um, 100%, 100%. Yeah. but you know that process again and you know parents can do this you can do this with your own kids just you don't even you know even if they're just just with your, your pet fish even you know raising narrating and commenting and, and really bringing it to their attention and saying wow that was really kind and do you know why that was kind you know well that was that was a really effective way of, of, of preventing that that problem behavior and do you know why that worked so well? Yeah. You know, and, and this is why. 
um, and helping them to understand that. And, and you know what? It impacts on the way they interact with other humans. Yeah. You know, positive reinforcement training, clicker training for animals has made me a better mother. It's made me a better friend. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a daily act of gratitude because we are noticing the things that the animals and the people around us are doing right and we're reinforcing them rather than mm. waiting for them to do something wrong and just reacting to it. Yeah. It's important. Beautiful. It's really important stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it really is. Mm. It's. I remember you mentioned Alexandra Curlin before. She has a podcast and um, I listened to one and I'm, I'm going to get all the names wrong, so I won't even try. Um, but they were talking about, positive reinforcement and COVID. So they were taking all the positive reinforcement and talking about what was happening during COVID and how we were being reinforced to have certain behaviours. And um, that, like you just explained then, it was able to take it from a, just an animal training point of view into an everyday experience. I and suspect that, that was the episode with Dr. Susan Friedman. Yeah, thank you. I was yes. going to get that wrong. I thought Dr. Susan, I thought Susan yeah. Friedman and then I was like, no, yes. Who yes. is my absolute one. training and life idol. She's, she's incredible. Yeah. Um, absolutely yeah. incredible. She's yeah, um, I haven't actually listened to those episodes, but um, I've heard her it talk on that. It was quite a while ago. It was quite a while right. ago. And um, when COVID was first kind of happening and shutdowns were first happening in the States. Mm. And, um, but what it enabled me to do was have a better understanding of how it's already happening. It's not something that you have to have and take out to your horses. It's yes. around you all the time. It's exactly. And that is, I feel, the benefit. This is why I say I consider myself to be an all-species trainer, not a horse trainer. Yeah. Because there is just enormous benefit that I see for horse people to understand that these concepts apply universally. This is the universal language. This is the way the world goes around. Yeah. And if we can really understand that, then I think that's to the, really is to the horse's benefit because um, it takes away the intimidation factor of this, you know, like good feel and being a good horseman. It's a little bit magic. It's a little bit ethereal. It's a little bit it's out of my reach. And I'm, I'm just a, a 40 year old who's got back into horses after, you know, yeah. after having six kids and now I've got no confidence and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not an animal trainer and I've, you know, take it away because actually you, my my clients that have got young kids, I'm like, you need to use that knowledge. You need to think about the way that you interact with your your children, because yeah. I tell you what, it's the same way. And you and then you learn more. You yeah, know, it's the same way that yeah we and every day. Then you've got more confidence to take it to your animals and horses. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of there's a lot of learning that crosses over. Um, one of my clients was really lacking confidence. Um, about uh, providing boundaries for her horse. She, she wanted desperately to train with positive reinforcement and to give her horse choice and autonomy, but the result was that she was going too far and basically giving that horse no clarity and mm -hmm. allowing the horse to, to, to do things which weren't safe. And, and she was feeling uncomfortable and unsafe and anxious. And, and, you know, I just reminded her, you know, you've got a two-year-old child. She had a two-year-old daughter. And I said, you know, if you came over for a coffee and, and brought your daughter to my house, would you allow her to just run around my house and just pull everything off the table and break the ornaments and do whatever she wanted? You wouldn't. You would put kind but firm boundaries in place. You would explain mm -hmm. what was required. And then you would help her to be successful within that framework, wouldn't you? Like... And you could do it in a calm way, but some reason when we get in front yeah. of horses, we lose all the confidence and just go, oh my God. Yeah. And yeah. if you're a loving 
mother, especially those that sort of prescribe to the more kind of um, positive parenting sort of styles, which mm. um, a lot of people that are attracted to this type of training do because it's that there's, you know, it's a deep part of that sort of the ethics and the, the compassion thing is a big part of who they are. And, you know, they, I see them doing it beautifully with their kids. For the most part, we all make mistakes. I yell at my child sometimes. But, yeah. but you know, the point is I can set down really clear, firm boundaries for my child. And I'm doing the same thing with my horse. I'm yeah. just explaining in a really calm and matter-of-fact way, this is, this is what's expected and this is what's required. And, and I'm going to help you to be successful. I'm not going to make up arbitrary rules for the horse and, and then leave him hanging when he gets it wrong and then punish him because he didn't know the answer in the first place. I'm going to, you know, we're going to teach them before we test them. Yeah. Yeah. Teach them before we test them. Perfect. Yeah. That's wonderful. So what do you have coming up, Bex? I believe you are making some courses. Yeah. So I've been doing online courses since about this time last year. Um, norm, before that point, it was all teaching in person, traveling around New Zealand and teaching clinics um, in person. But what I began to realize is I was burning myself out with all that travel um, and I wasn't able to reach as many humans and horses as I wanted. And so um, I started doing these um, online courses, which at that time were run on Facebook and they are coaching courses. They're not just, you know, buy some modules and off you go. Um, they're essentially like my clinics, but they're online. Mm -hmm. um, and then I came back from, I was teaching in Texas. I taught a clinic in Texas with the beautiful Adele Shaw from the Willing Equine. Um, oh. I went over to her. She hosted me in March over there. And I remember then, seeing that. She's another great collaborator. She yeah. brings some beautiful people together. Yeah, she does. And so I was, um, she hosted me over there and I taught quite a large clinic in, at her facility in Austin and then um, COVID hit. So I missed out on Clicker Expo. I flew home into self-isolation and, um, and you know, dived into really invigorating the online side of the business. So what the result of that has been from the past, however long that is, what is that, six months, um, is I've now got a um, an online membership, which is Positively Us, which is a community with ongoing learning. Um, and I also, I'm also running my courses still, which are more intense. I call them coaching intensives um, mm -hmm. because that's essentially um, what they are. So they're, they're four weeks long and they're small group classes where we have a, a community, community learning, um, learning together as, as a group and getting lots of um, feedback on your own training and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I've got my uh, foundations package which is two courses the first one is called building foundations and that takes people right from the very beginning of, of how to use food rewards with horses how to clicker train your horse um, and then the, the next is the follow one which is foundation fluency so I'm offering both of those in September October and the spaces are filling fast um, but they'll be offered again if it's sold out by the time this goes to air they, those courses will be offered again um, yeah, and then my membership actually comes with the content of Building Foundations for free. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a low cost way of getting kind of ongoing learning. But the most important thing for me is the community. It's a really beautiful group of super supportive and kind and open-minded people. It's really important to me with clicker training for horses that we are inclusive and open-minded and encourage people to to incorporate it into their lives in whichever way seems right for them at that point of their journey rather than being um, too uh, um, specific about what we think other people should be training like, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, so that's totally. That. 
And yep. it's, it's a really interesting, um, like I was speaking about before, is that there are different methods in the horse world and um, everyone may think that theirs is the best, but it's also what comes to you authentically, what feels right in your body when you're doing it, um, you know, and you will find your own way and you can learn a lot of different things as you've done, as a lot of amazing trainers I know have done. And um, you take little pieces from everywhere. And like you said before, you've been at this 20 years and you're still learning. If we ever think we've got it and our way is the only way and that way is no good, then we really need to look inside ourselves and, and wonder why it is we're being so judgmental. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, like ultimately ask the horse. The, yeah. You know, as long as the welfare of the horse is being kept central and as long as the human is educated enough to be able to recognise when welfare is being compromised, then you know, you're free to do what you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, because that's mm. what comes first. Yeah, I agree. Mm. So, Bex, where can we find you? I'll put your links in the show notes, but tell us as well. Yeah, so I'm um, quite active on Facebook um, and Instagram. So Positively Together is my Facebook and my Instagram. Um, mm. I've got a free Facebook group, which people can be part of, and that's um, got uh, for about the last, 12 months or so I've been doing weekly short videos um, on that free group so there's a whole library of of um, you know educational videos on different topics in there um, as well as just an amazing group of just over a thousand really dedicated to positive reinforcement horse people so that group is called positively together with your horse mm -hmm. um, and then I have my um, so I've got my website is clickertraining.co.nz and that's um, gives you a little bit of information about me and it's a central place to find things and I've got a web store on there for Kiwis and Australians selling clicker training gear um, but my main home at the moment is um, my where my online community and classroom is based and the um, address for that is positivelytogether.app um, and that is based, it's off Facebook, which I love and which my members love. And um, it's got all of the benefits of social media in terms of the, the community feel and the, the, you know, the way that we can um, share information and educate and, um, and share our successes and things like that, but without the, the advertising and the distractions and the privacy concerns and, and all of that. So that's in its own little special world um, yeah. on, your, on your phone or on your computer. Um, so that's, yeah. That's, beautiful um, and is that an actual app yeah it is yep so the, the the platform itself is called mighty networks and there's an app that, that that so i can just open my phone and just tap a button and i'm, and I'm inside my my little members group which is called positively us um yeah you just go go and have there's a there's a there's a whole lot of free content um on the main kind of entry area of that that you can explore and i've got some blog posts and and things like that but then you um, if you choose you can join different courses and also join the, the community itself the, the little the little group called positively us um, to be be one of our what you know what I call our, our herd members our little herd of positively us and then all the different classrooms and I've got lots of other courses which are kind of in the process of being made I've got a lot of people wanting me to teach them teach a course on how to get your horse to fetch <laughs> <laughs> which, I think, which I think it's just that's kind of that's been my trademark with my with my guys I'm all about just bringing joy into training and taking yeah. the focus off of problem solving all the time and all of these serious we take ourselves very seriously horse people and I just want us to just lighten up and have fun with our horses and so I do a lot of trick training and stuff as well as my other 
you know, pro proper training. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm doing a course on, on how to shape and chain behaviors together, which is essentially what fetch is with a horse. Um, and I'm also doing some other, like, um, one about horses with food anxiety. I'm, I've got a course in the works on that. There'll be various oh, things right. coming up in the future. But. Yeah, that, that would be a great standalone one, the food yeah. anxiety. Mm. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people need support with, even if they've um, done things, um, you know, reasonably well from the start. There's just, as we talked about earlier, it's, um, yeah. it's a common issue with horses and it's an obstacle that doesn't need to prevent people from using positive reinforcement, that's for sure. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Vex. It's great to be able to have this conversation with you. I've been following you for a while and you've always been on my list. So thank you so much for making the time. Well, thank you. I, I, yeah, no, I've got a lot of respect for the work that, that you do and, and um, really thankful for for the time and energy and, and money I imagine that you put into um, putting something like this together this podcast and then putting it out there into the universe to make horses lives better so yeah much appreciation going your way great and back to you thank you mostly for everything that you're doing for horses in the world and um, you know that's the whole reason this podcast is there so thanks for putting the welfare first and doing everything you can and uh, you know dedicating your life to to making the world a better place for horses mm -hmm. thank you I'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. You can go over to our Patreon page at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show. As Patreon members, you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again. And remember, any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you as a subscriber will have a say in. You could also pop over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that boost the podcast up and basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world you could also share this podcast with a friend tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy all the links you need can be found in the show notes thanks again for listening and i'll catch you next time on come along for the ride